good, good morning. Let's have a word of prayer together as we dive into the word together this morning. Father, it is great to be in your house. God, to be in the midst of your presence and your people. May we never take that for granted, God. We thank you so, so much for the fact that you are here with us. God, again this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. God, that you would speak into our lives right where you know we each need you. I ask God that you would speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me, and that none of us would be the same because we have been here with you in this place, in this moment. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. You know, one of the great things about living in Austin, Texas is what a pet-friendly city we live in. If you have a dog, you can take a dog to a restaurant, you can go out to eat, there are dog parks everywhere. If you have a cat, one day you may get a real pet. There are all kinds of options that are available to those who live here in Austin. Can we bring the lights up in the house just a little bit? I, I need to see some folks, just like a little bit of light. But anyway, it is an incredibly pet-friendly environment that we get to live in and we get to call home. Well, I saw something recently on my way into a restaurant that is one of my favorite moments in the history of ever. I was getting out of my truck, making my way towards the restaurant when I saw a woman being dragged across the parking lot by her dog. Now, she was on her feet, but she was being dragged and like trying to keep up and go, come here, come, come here, come here, come here. I mean, this dog was out of control, lunging at the leash, jumping, spinning, barking. And I made a line from where that dog was to the front door of the restaurant, and I saw why. Because there, seated seated at an outdoor table close to the front door, was another dog and its owner. And this dog was losing its mind, jumping howling, spinning, doing circles, creating all kinds of problems. And so I just kind of waited. I I, I quit making my way into the restaurant. I just wanted to see how this whole thing unfolded a little bit. And what I saw next is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. The dog owner closer to the door from the one who's being dragged through the parking lot stood up and in a futile attempt to calm her dog down, she began frantically yelling at her dog, relax, relax, relax. That's right, frantically yelling, relax, relax, relax. Needless to say, it didn't work, but it did cause me to think of a quote that I had heard attributed to Gandhi. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Now, neither one of these dog owners were being the change they wished to see in their animals. But I told you that story to tell you this. Gandhi never made that quote. Gandhi did not say that. I don't care how many times you see it on Facebook. I don't care how many memes you've seen it in. I don't care how many times you've published it online. Gandhi never said, be the change you wish to see in the world. If anything, that idea, that concept actually is more attributable 
to Jesus. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in stark contrast to Gandhi and everything else in this world, the gospel is actually an incredible invitation and a calling for your life, for my life, not to be the change we wish to see in the world. Rather, the gospel calls us to be the change the world needs to see. It's not about what I want to see in this world. It's about what God wants to see. It's about the change that this world needs, the change in the world that Jesus Christ went to the cross and rose from the dead to affect and to facilitate. That is the change. That is the calling of God for anyone who would follow Christ, that we would be the change that the world, in fact, needs to see. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been in this teaching series called Impact, Little by Little. And we've been exploring the pattern, the paradigm that God usually uses to greatest effect in in your life and in my life and, and sometimes even through our lives that more often than not, the biggest impact in and through our lives happens little by little. It happens one faith step after another, one step of obedience, one step of trust after another, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, and hopefully year by year, we see those little steps stack up to make a monster difference. That's how God operates. If you were here, you'll remember at the very beginning, we, we went to the words of Zechariah the prophet, and it said, despise not small beginnings. Don't, don't, don't look down. Don't sleep on small beginnings because small beginnings is usually where God does the most work. Now, there are those, those flash in the sky, road to Damascus moments like the apostle Paul had, but more often than not, it is in fact little by little, little by little. And, and to To get at this, we've been doing a deep dive on something that Jesus said. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 22. He was confronted one day by a scholar of the the law of Moses. This would have been a, a Pharisee. This would have been someone who was trained and educated deeply and profoundly in the law of Moses and the prophets that had all been pointing toward Christ. And this learned scholar came before Jesus one day and asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important? What's the most significant commandment of all of the ones? Isn't it interesting how we love to rank and to rate stuff? We we do. I I find myself doing that. I think some of that in our world is because, man, we love sports, don't we? we? We love to see who's leading the statistical board, who's winning, who's losing. Will the Cowboys ever go to a Super Bowl again. You know, we we love all that stuff. But there is, in fact, even when it comes to the things of God, we we have this natural tendency to rank and to rate. And Jesus actually answered this question very, very directly. As I said, in Matthew chapter 22, this is what the Bible says. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But then he said, 
A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus said, yeah, the, the most important commandment is love God with everything that you have. And, and last week, we really kind of did a deep dive on that. We, we've been kind of really, I think you could say, getting into the gristle of this statement of Jesus is to love God with everything that you have. And a second command that is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus knows, Jesus understands that when we put God at the center of our universe, when we choose to love God with everything that we have, that relationship will necessarily spill over into our human relationships, into our interpersonal relationships with our closest, most intimate relationships to our most scattered, non-intimate relationships. He says very, very clearly, when you begin to see people, when you begin to love people as God sees people and loves people, that will, in fact, change everything about the way you treat people. And that makes sense because if we've, if we've made God our number one priority, loving God with everything that we have, then what God loves, we will love. What God celebrates, we will celebrate. What God grieves, we will grieve. It makes sense that our will, our hearts, our priorities will be realigned and reoriented to match God's if we are actually loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. It just follows that we would, in fact, then love God's people. Julie and I have some very, very close friends who live out of town, actually out of state, and these friends of ours are people that they, they have been with us through thick and thin. We, we have grieved together. We have celebrated together. We have vacationed together. We've spent a lot of time together. These, this family is really and truly our family's ride or die. I mean, they're, they're the ones that are going to be there no matter what, every single time. And, and over the years, we have actually gotten to know and really, really like their children as well. We, we, know, we know all of their kids. They know all of our kids. We know what's going on in their kids' lives, what they're doing well at, what they may have prayer requests about, what may be challenging them. As a matter of fact, their youngest one now is a little bit younger than our family and our kids, and he's actually playing organized team sports really for the first time. And Julie and I have found ourselves consumed with his progress athletically. Like a lot of times we'll come home in the day, hey, did you talk to David and Lisa? How, how's he doing? How, did, he, did he play last night? How'd he go? How many points did he have? How many minutes did he have? The coach playing him enough? All these kind of things because we really care about their kids like they really care about our kids. I think that dynamic, whether you have kids or not, makes sense. You, you start to understand why Jesus would say, the second great commandment is equally as important as the first great commandment. If you love God, then you're going to love God's people. I'm going to tell you something. You, you take a, an interest, you, you take a, a concern and, and a vested interest in, in our kids. You're concerned about their, their 
faith, you're concerned about their happiness, their success, what's going well, what are they struggling with. I'm going to tell you something. You love my kids, you're loving me. That makes sense. I, I understand why Jesus said that. You see, Jesus knows. Jesus certainly knew in this moment that the life that he had come to give, the life, the Bible says, the life that is truly life, the, the, Jesus characterized it as being abundant, life to the full, overflowing. He knew that that life is only possible to the degree that we choose to love God with everything that we have and to love God's kids. You see, you and I have never locked eyes with a single person who doesn't matter to God. There's not one single person that has ever written something snotty on social media that God doesn't love. There's not one single person in your life in any capacity that Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross for and rise from the dead. That is how much God loves his people. Now, I have to tell you something that I'm not proud of, but I want to just be completely transparent. This week, as I was preparing for this message, love your neighbor as yourself. Be the change. I'm I'm studying commentaries. I'm reading what the original church fathers had to say about Jesus' words. I'm reading modern commentaries. I'm praying through, thinking about this message. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got up and left to go to lunch. I wanted to kind of get away from it a little bit, unwind, and just get out of the office. And so I got in my truck, and I was driving down the road, driving the speed limit, which should not be as big an event as it was, but I was driving the speed limit in this particular moment when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy just cuts in front of me and slows down. Now, I was going the speed limit. It's not like I was doing 80. Cuts in front of me and slows down. And I said out loud in my truck, what is your problem? And immediately, immediately, the Holy Spirit just, love your neighbor as yourself. I got to believe if Jesus were driving down the road, he would be driving the speed limit, and he would not look at one of his children and say, what's your problem? He might say, Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he does, but he wouldn't say, what's your problem? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget about that love your neighbor thing? Isn't it amazing how fast we can slip back into a me first mentality? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Love your neighbor as yourself. And and embedded in that, just that very, very simple, simple command are some profound consequences, profound consequences, that if we will put them into practice, if we will make this a part of our our spiritual habit, you will see God do amazing, amazing things. I'm not making this up. I'm not telling you something that I hope is true. This is from the heart of God himself. Three things I want us to pull out of this statement of Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself as, as practice, as actual things to do to 
imitate Christ. Number one, extend the example of Christ. Extend the example of Christ. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. I love what Derek said earlier in our service. It was so spot on. Everything that God calls us to as followers of Christ is in response to something that he has already initiated. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love because Jesus has already given us the example of how to do it. Jesus has already shown us in the flesh how to go about doing this. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. In the original language, that sentence is an imperative. Have. That means Adopt, appropriate, take on the same mindset, the same heart space, the same posture that Jesus took on as a servant, which means, which means it's a choice. It is a choice that you make or that I make to serve or to not serve. Turn to your neighbor right now with Sunday morning enthusiasm, tell them it's a choice. It is absolutely a choice. Have the same mindset. So when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, this is an equally important second great commandment. He's saying, just extend the example that I've already set for you. I, I have come that they might have life. John chapter 1 says, we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You know, I've noticed you can't love somebody that you can't tell the truth. You, you have to be able to speak the truth. But if you love somebody, you speak the truth in love. You speak the truth in love. And it's an imperative for those of us who are followers of Christ that we're extending that example that the people around us, especially the people closest to us, <laughs> that those people are receiving the same thing that we've received because we're adopting a servant mentality. We're saying, how can I best love you? More to the point, how can God best love that person through me? What's the best way for God to love my wife, Julie, my kids, coworkers, people 
at the grocery store. Maybe, maybe when you're at a restaurant and that server who's trying to cover 15 tables because everybody's sick with the Rona. What's the best way for God to love that person through you in that moment? It's probably going to be a really big tip. And if you don't tip well, don't tell anybody you go to church here. And I know, I know people have said, well, I gave a big tip. I told them about Jesus. That was my tip. That, that's, that's good. That's good. But you better leave some cash along with the tract. Extend the example set by Christ. Take the same posture, the same mindset that Jesus himself had. Number two, expand the definition of neighbor. Expand. As a matter of fact, I think you could even say explode the definition of neighbor. To extend the example, we love your neighbor as yourself. But to expand the definition of neighbor, man, you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Jesus is making this reference, love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandment, the first, is an echo of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It would have been known as the Shema in Israel. But when he says love your neighbor as yourself, that's a reference to Leviticus chapter 19. And in Leviticus 19, God is explaining to Israel how they are to live when they take possession of the promised land. And at this point, God says, you are to love your neighbor, and your neighbor is no longer just your fellow Israelites. Your neighbor now is even the aliens who live amongst you, those who are not part of the tribe, those who are not part of the family of Abraham. Now I want you to show them my love by the way you treat each other and the way you treat them. This even includes those who are not Israelites. This would be the, the Gentiles amongst you. Show them. And so for Jesus' audience, they would have been remembering this. They would have been thinking back to this and going, okay, I remember when he said that in Leviticus 19 because that was a part of our heritage. That's a part of our history. But then Jesus just completely blows the whole thing up. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight both to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So if you want to be like God, you love everybody, even the people who cause you trouble, even the people who persecute you, even the people who do you wrong, even the people who betray you. You pray for them. Ooh. Now, Jesus is all up in my business. Listen, if you've been alive for 30 minutes, you've been wronged. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. And it is so easy, so easy to stay wrapped around the axle of anger 
of bitterness, of resentment. Believe me when I tell you, I know. But you know what is impossible? It is actually impossible to stay bitter towards someone that you're praying for. To stay bitter for someone that you're praying for. And to pray God's blessings on those who betray you. But I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus just said we're supposed to do. Another moment of confession. Sometimes I like to stay mad. Does anybody like to stay mad sometimes? Don't leave your pastor hanging here, okay? Sometimes, I'm not saying all the time. It's, not, it's certainly not healthy to make it a habit. But sometimes, like, when you know this is another thing. This is just a little personal thing. Sometimes, sometimes, there are not two sides to every story. Sometimes people are just jerks. Okay? Pray for them and bless them. Bless them. God, bless him. And I don't mean that kind of thing that they do in the South where they go, bless her heart. That's not the same thing. That's condescending, hiding behind religious language. God, bless him. Help me to not be bitter. I trust you for the results. I trust you, and I will follow you. Bless them as they go. You can't stay bitter if you do that. You can't harbor resentment when you pray for somebody and pray God's blessings on their lives. So expand your definition of neighbor. It's not just the people close to you. It's not just the people that you like. It's not just the people who don't cut you off in traffic. It's everyone. The message of the gospel is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I've told you before, be careful. Be very careful when you hear somebody say, there are two types of people in the world. Be careful. Having said that, there are two types of people in the world. You ready? Lost and saved. People who are forgiven by the blood of Jesus and people who are not. That is how we look at people. That is how we love people. We, we completely explode the definition of neighbor. It's not just the person who lives next door, even two doors down. Even the guy on the street corner, even the person checking you out at the grocery store, even anybody created in the image of God. So yeah, Extend the example, love your neighbor as yourself. Expand, explode the definition of neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. But this third one can get tricky. This third one can get tricky, and that is exhibit the love of Christ. Exhibit the love of Christ. What I mean by exhibit is demonstrate the fact that you're loved. 
demonstrate, show people, exhibit, not the fact that you have earned anything because you haven't when it comes to the grace and forgiveness and favor of God. Can't earn that. I can't earn it. Remember, everything we do is in response to God's grace initiatives. But I can exhibit the fact that I am loved. I am treasured by God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, knows my name. He knows your name. I want to go back to the words of King David. Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. David is writing a a song, a, a song of worship to God, and he says, For you created my inmost being, my soul. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Awesome. In the strictest sense of all, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If that doesn't knock you out of your seat, you're not paying attention. God singled out your soul before you even began coming together. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God had you in mind by name. Wow. That is why we value life from the second of conception because even before the second of conception, that was a soul singled out by God. So it is imperative that we exhibit that kind of love. I don't understand it. I can't can't wrap my brain, my human finite brain, around divine, infinite love. But I know it's true. I know it's real. And so, yeah, we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Biblically, that means that we see ourselves as God sees us. I understand that he had me in mind before I ever showed up. Wow, are you kidding? When you understand that, when you step into that, when you start to own that, there's no no room for ego or pride. It's just an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder at the love of God. It's not about 
what I've done or accomplished or said or thought. It's about what he did and accomplished and about what he says and what he thinks about who I am, about who you are. And he invites you into a relationship with himself. He invites you to to own that reality, to, to own that redemption that comes through Christ. You see, you and I, on our own, will never, never be the change that the world needs to see. Can't get there. But in Christ, all things are possible. In him, I can do all things. Apart from him, I can do nothing. He is the vine. I'm a branch. You're a branch. In him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to invite you. And, and in a very real way, I want, to, I want to push you a little bit. I want to challenge you to consider that little phrase that I just mentioned, in him. And just pose a question to you like this. Are you? Are you in Christ? Meaning, have you chosen to take that step and follow Jesus? To confess your sin to him? So that you could claim his forgiveness? and be restored into a relationship with God that you were created for. The one that he had in mind when he knit you together in your mother's womb. Have you? If you haven't, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that right now. To make it your own. If that's you in this moment, then just pray something like this. Just silently where you are. Just Talk to God from your heart to his. Say something like this in your own words. Jesus, I need you. I need your grace and truth. I need your forgiveness. And so in this moment, I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back to claim your forgiveness. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. And so Lord, in this moment, in exchange for your life, I will give you mine. I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. And I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name.
I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment because this is a sacred moment when God's moving in people's lives. And I want you to know that if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, then this is the biggest moment of your life. It's the one upon which God will build every moment that follows. And as a church, we have the distinct privilege and responsibility to help with what comes next. And so if that was your prayer, I want to ask you if you will do just a couple of things. Number one, let us know that you made that commitment to Christ. You can do that by stopping by the hub on your way out underneath the big front porch or there in your seat, in the seat back in front of you, you'll see there's a QR code. You can use that and that'll get you to a place where you can just say, I committed my life to Christ recently. And all that does is begin a conversation that proceeds at whatever pace works for you. But it's important. Don't leave this moment in a vacuum. Let it follow you out from this place. Let it affect everything. And then the second thing that I would ask of you, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And all that is, is a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that as a church family, we celebrate that. Whether it's in the room or online, we celebrate that with you. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.